0: Welcome to LeGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Songs of Longing and Songs of Rest by Rev. Peter Yonker. My scripture reading and my sermon will be on this, what I consider a psalm of rest, Psalm 131, um, one of my personal favorite psalms. Psalmist says, My heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. I chose to meditate on Psalm 131 tonight because I think it is uh, a psalm of rest, and not just a a psalm of any kind of rest, but a psalm of the the sort of the deepest rest, the deepest sort of rest that we can have in God. And I'd like to try to illustrate why I think that's so. And to do that, I wanna get into the psalm and look at it really, really carefully, and begin by imagining, if we can, the sort of situation that would have been going on in the life of the psalmist when he wrote this psalm. Now, obviously, we can't know for sure, but there are things in the psalm that give us clues. Now, some people read this psalm, maybe you heard it this way, and they hear it as a psalm of someone who's learned to trust after they were independent. So they were proud and self-reliant. Their eyes were raised too high and then they were brought low and they learned to rest in God like a weaned child with its mother. So people imagine that maybe the story of the psalmist is something like the apostle Peter, right? Peter, who was very self-reliant, very confident, very independent, sometimes thought he knew better than Jesus, denied Jesus, was brought low and learned to trust in a new way. Now that's an important message, and there are psalms that talk about humility of that sort, Psalm 30, for example. But that is not the sort of rest and trust of Psalm 131. Look carefully, and you will see that this is not the psalm of someone who is proud and self-reliant and independent. This is the psalm, this is the words of somebody who was already completely reliant on God completely resting in the Father, completely trusting in Him, only to have that trust suddenly violated. Only to have that trust suddenly let down. Now, why do I say that? It's in the imagery of the child. And the psalmist says that he rests in in his mother's bosom. When he rests on his mother, he doesn't rest like a sleeping child doesn't rest like a nursing child, doesn't rest like a resting child. He rests like a weaned child, a weaned child. That image is so important. That image tells a story. Now, for you younger people here, uh, weaned is kind of an old word. When a child is weaned, right, they're taken off nursing. You don't nurse the child anymore. You don't give them breast milk. You don't give them mother's milk. You move them towards other kinds of food and other kinds of of milk. And so you're moving them away from this situation of utter reliance, that picture of of a nursing child, right? A child who's nursing. A child who's still at mother's breast. A picture of, of, of a mother nursing a baby. There is no better picture of reliance and trust and complete dependency. When you wean a child, You take that child who is in that state of complete trust and complete dependency, and suddenly you take away from that child the very thing that that child tastes as its intimacy with its mother. You take away the very food of its fellowship with mom. When the psalmist says, that he's resting like a weaned child with his mother, there's a suggestion that this has been a combative thing because when you wean a child, that's not not easy on the child. The child fights, the child pushes against it, the child cries, the child doesn't understand why it can't nurse anymore, why it can't be with mom and enjoy this food that was the food of intimacy. When the Psalmist says that he is like a weaned child with his mother, he is resting like a person who's had the thing that is most important in their life, the very thing that connected them with God, suddenly taken away, and he does not understand why. Most of us have a stage in our life where our reliance on God is like that of a nursing child. If you had a good childhood like I did, and I hope many of you did, that's your youth, right? You're raised in a Christian home. You're blessed and loved. You're protected. Your parents protect you from all sorts of evil things out in the world. Everything you could possibly want, they they give to you. And it's wonderful. It's great. And for some of us, that sort of nursing phase of our life goes right into young adulthood. We sort of cruise through, right? Everything goes well for us. We have fun. And we have the ordinary middle class teenage anxieties. But for the most part, we do great like a nursing child. But then something happens. Milk is taken away. Somebody we love dies. We get sick. We lose a job. Our marriage starts to fall apart. And what do we do? We start crying out like a child cries out when they're first weaned, we start yelling and crying out to God, Lord, don't let this happen. Lord, please, please don't take this thing away. And sometimes it doesn't matter. The marriage falls apart. The person we love dies. We don't get our job back. Sometimes When we realize that good thing isn't coming back, the loss ends up defining us. We become bitter, we become down, we become dour, we walk through life cynically. But sometimes we end up in the place of the psalmist. With our eyes red from tears and our hearts still hurting within us, we learn to lean and trust on our father and we fall asleep in his arms, even though we have no idea why this thing happened or what purpose it served. We sleep like a wean child with his mother. There's a kind of faith that looks for explanations. Faith seeking understanding. Augustine celebrated this kind of faith. Fides quaris, quarenz intellectum. Faith seeking understanding. It's really good faith. All right, we try to explain all the gaps in the world. We look for apologetic answers for the gaps in our faith. It's a good thing to do. But what do you do when you run out of answers? As all faith does, when we come to the edge of our answers, what do you do? You either turn around or you learn to rest on your father like a weaned child with his mother. Gerald Sitzer wrote a wonderful book called A Grace Disguise, it's about 15 years old already, maybe 20 actually in which he records his personal struggle with loss. Uh, He had a terrible loss, he had a great life, he was teaching at a Christian college, he had a family, and then he was out in the road one night and a drunk driver hit him with his family, and in one accident he lost his mother, and his wife, and his youngest daughter. And it was just this terrible thing, the heart ripped right out of his life, And, and the book is about him trying to cope with this, and coming to terms with it, and learning to rest. And If you read the book, he doesn't really completely come fully to understand what's going on, but he does come to a kind of rest, a kind of calm in the midst of his pain. He says this, he says, you know, before the accident, my moods completely depended on what was happening during the day. Things were going well in my classes, I was a happy guy. Things were going poorly in my classes or poorly in my family, I was grumpy guy. But he says after the accident, Things changed. I cared little about my advancement or prestige. I did my job, but not to impress other people. When I came up for tenure, I never wondered or worried about it. I spent time with friends because I valued being with them. And I decided what I wanted to believe because it was true and right and not because it was popular or expected. I reflected on the kind of person I wanted to be, not to please others, but to be true to God and to myself. I enjoyed a rare kind of simplicity, freedom, and equilibrium. That is deep rest. In the midst of pain, learning to rest like a weaned child with its mother. One more example, one more picture of that kind of rest that, that works for me especially. It's from the book, The Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I've, I've read the book like six times. If you want to talk about it any time, just come on over, I'm happy to talk about it ad nauseum. And I think it's wonderful, and as I think most of you know, but I will still explain, it tells a story of a mission by two hobbits called Frodo and Sam And they have this evil ring that has been produced by Sauron that will consume anyone who wears it. And if Sauron gets a hold of it, evil will overspread the land where they live. So they have this mission to take this ring, take it into the heart of the most evil place in Middle Earth, and throw it into a volcano where it was forged, where the evil will be destroyed. So these two little people go on this quest, and it's utterly exhausting and they are beaten down, and, and they lose people they love. And, and finally, they're almost to the, to the place where they need to throw the ring, in. they're in the middle of Mordor, and evil is all around them, and they can feel the weight of the evil pressing on them. And, and their enemies are surrounding them on every side, and it just feels like there's no way they're going to get this mission done. The evil in front of them is far too big for them to overcome. And so they're they're lying down one night in the middle of Mordor in this reeking place. And Sam is trying to sleep and he can't sleep because he's worried so much. And then suddenly, through the the, the clouds of, of, of smoke that cover Mordor, he sees a star. And this is what it says. There, peeping among the cloud rack above the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now for a moment, his own fate and even the fate of his master ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side, and putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. You could say he rested in the middle of that evil place like a weaned child with its mother. Deep rest. For most of us, the milk has been taken away, but we are not left without food. At great cost, our Lord Jesus Christ has replaced the milk with the food of this table, the bread and the wine. Very different kind of food. You know, mother's milk is the food of contentment. It's warm and full of fat, comforting comfort food. This food is an edge, a bite. When you drink this cup, you taste the glory, but you also taste the pain that Jesus endured. There's both suffering and joy in that cup. But it always tastes like salvation. It always tastes like the Lord Jesus Christ surrounding us on every side and holding on to us. It always tastes like the Lord Jesus Christ reaching from beyond the edge of our explanations to take a hold of us that will never be broken. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know um, that this is a room full of stories of, of pain and concern and worry, and many of us will leave this place and go out into a week Um, feeling like the troubles of the week are bigger than our strength. It is good that we can stop here and rest in you and remember that you have a hold on us that cannot be broken, that even the worst troubles of our life are nothing compared to the everlasting hope we have in you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.